Hi, and welcome to Beauty Curious. My name is Dr. Elise Love, and I am a board-certified dermatologist. And I'm Ian Michael Crum, a licensed esthetician. Ian and I are excited to become your trusted beauty guides, from interviews with the best and brightest names in the industry to sharing our favorite expert-approved products. We are here to help you navigate the noise by giving you the facts. Are you feeling beauty curious? Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, friends. Today, we're talking about a topic that I love, neuromodulators. Botox, Dysport, Daxify. When is the right time to consider it? Can you treat too early? Can you treat too late? What are the possible side effects? And what's the point? This is basically a free cosmetic consult, so buckle up and enjoy. Oh my gosh, Dr. Love, you're giving it away for free. (laughs) For free. Oh my gosh. Um, Don't come to my office and ask for free. (laughs) I'm so glad we're diving into this because I get asked quite frequently and I get shocked the difference between Botox neuromodulators and fillers. A lot of people don't understand the difference, so... Let's let's dive in and and get into that free consult. I'm excited. All right. So let's start with clarifying what we're talking about when we say neuromodulators. Ian, do you want to take a shot at this? Oh my gosh. I don't know. I'm like <laughs> you like <laughs> essentially a neuromodulator paralyzes the muscle or you could kind of like slow it down in yeah. a sense. So the muscles on our face they contract and then, you know, that could form some wrinkles. You could also use a neuromodulator in other areas of the body. I know a lot of people use them in their armpits for sweating, but yeah. it essentially paralyzes the muscle so it can't move or it can't move as much. And then that's why it's used in aesthetics because people don't want wrinkles in their face. That was, I'll give you a B plus. A B plus. It was all correct. You put me on the spot. I like. I was like, wait. I thought you were explaining it, not me. Okay, so when we talk about neuromodulators, we don't like to say the word paralyzed. We'll say. Soften. I know. After I said that, I was like, oh, yeah. she's gonna hate it. <laughs> um, so basically, when we talk about neuromodulators, the reason we use them in aesthetics specifically is that. We talk about dynamic wrinkles and static wrinkles. So dynamic wrinkles are wrinkles that you make when you make a facial expression, and they're great, and everyone has them, even young children. And then there are these things called static wrinkles, and that's when you can start to see those like horizontal fine lines on the forehead or like the 11s between the brows or what people call the crow's feet. That's such a harsh term, crow's feet. Oh my gosh. What Botox is designed to do is to delay the transition from a dynamic wrinkle to a static wrinkle. And so the way that you do that is you just decrease the intensity of the wrinkle motion. And so historically, people were afraid of Botox because I call it the real housewife effect. The frozen look. <laughs> exactly. The like Kim K meme where like, someone's hysterically <laughs> crying and their face isn't moving. But that's really not the goal, especially for young patients. Really, the goal is to get you to the point where you still have all of your movement, you're stable, still able to express, but you're not making these like really deep lines when you do it. That's what I go for. Um, but yeah, I agree. A lot of people think they're going to end up looking like a real housewives. Yeah. So I know there's multiple types of neuromodulators. A lot of people will just refer to the grouping of them as Botox. I think they, and correct me if I'm wrong, they were first to market and kind yeah. of like claimed that. It's like and the same analogy as calling a tissue a Kleenex, but Botox is a brand name. So... What are the other popular neuromodulators and like what's the difference? Yeah, so that's a great question. So Botox is just like 
has market dominance. They're first to the market, they're great in advertising, and it's just honestly a really great product. People are really happy with it. But there are other neuromodulators that essentially do the same thing. Dysport is one that's been out for a while, and I feel like it's becoming a lot more popular, like even within the past five years. There are some mild differences between Botox and Dysport. Dysport maybe kicks in a little bit quicker and maybe diffuses a little bit more, but really the person who's injecting it should inject them differently enough that you get the same effect. So functionally, Botox and Dysport are the same. And when you say diffuse, you mean like when it's injected, how far it spreads? How far, exactly. So like when I'm injecting Botox, I inject the areas a little bit closer. When I'm injecting Dysport, I inject them a little bit further away. There's also a product called Javo that came out a couple years ago. It got a lot of buzz, but it's kind of fallen off because it doesn't seem to last quite as long as Botox. Basically, when you come to market now, you have to be as good as Botox to get like for people to use it. And it just didn't live up to the hype. And then right now, the newest one that's getting a lot of hype is Daxi or Daxify. I've like seen that in lots of articles. I know. It's it's getting a lot of buzz. So we've only been injecting it a few months, so we don't know what's real, what's not real. But essentially, it's supposed to be Botox, but lasts instead of three months, six months to nine months. And so, or at I think what the company's saying now is however long your Botox lasts, Daxify might last twice as long. Wow. Yeah. So it hasn't been on the market long enough for us to see if that's actually true. So this happens all the time where products come to market and they have these great like data behind it and these great studies. And then we start using it and it's a total dud. So... Fingers crossed that it actually is amazing because one thing people like when people love Botox, literally the thing that they hate is that it wears off. So it will be a game changer if this really does last twice as long. And what about Xeomin? Oh, yeah, I didn't mention Xeomin. <laughs> I'm like, isn't there another one? Gwyneth loves Xeomin. Gwyneth? Uh, <laughs> really? Well, Gwyneth Paltrow was like on the Z- She's like the Xeomin oh, like spokesperson. The oh, I, okay, yeah. I didn't realize. So yeah, Xeomin is also another product. Some people, yeah, Xeomin, it exists. So do you have a favorite or do you have like a, a preference in terms of like using one of them for a certain area of the face or yeah. body over the other? Yeah, I mean, I will say, and I'm... I love Botox. It's just like I find that I started injecting it in residency. It's tried. It's true. It's been on the market the longest. It works. People are really happy with it. I do sometimes move over to Dysport for guys just because guys tend to have like broader foreheads and they get a little bit more diffusion. Um, But I would say that I mostly inject Botox and Dysport and then... Very interested in how Daxi is going to work out. So we're kind of playing around with it in the office right now to see. And does whenever it diffuses, like, is that like a way for someone to have a softer look? Like if you're talking about this frozen idea, is it? Yeah. So that's what people who are fans of Dysport over Botox will say. They'll say that you get a little bit, a colleague of mine, she'll do Dysport in the forehead and Botox on the lower face. So some people feel like Dysport gives a little bit of a softer look. There's a way to inject Botox to get a soft look, and there's a way to inject Dysport to get a soft look. So I don't necessarily find that to be as relevant. But there are some people who feel that, and you'll hear that kind of talked about. Hopefully that everyone kind of gets the gist that there's lots of options. Not everything's Botox, but they all have their kind of perks and call-outs. But is there a time, like, too early to get it? When When's, like, 
Does that exist? Yeah, that's a really good question because I, you know, 10 years ago, people were starting Botox like in their 50s and now my patients are like 23. So in terms of is there too early? Because we've kind of transitioned how we think about Botox or neuromodulators from treatment of wrinkles to preventative. Theoretically, there's no too early, but I do think that you can waste your money. So if you are 18 and your skin is nice and bouncy and you have tons of collagen, getting Botox at 18 is really not going to do much in terms of long-term prevention but it's not going to hurt. So there's no too early in terms of medically necessary but or cosmetically, but I think there is a too early just in terms of like cost effectiveness. That makes sense. What about like approval? I know all these, the neuromodulators need to be approved by the FDA. Yeah. So, so is it is that for like 18 plus or? Yeah, 18 plus. Yeah. So not approved for anyone under the age of 18. Okay. I mean, I have heard stories of people <laughs> younger than 18 getting it, which That is crazy. Is, um, yeah, crazy. My I started when I was 24. I'm 30 now, everyone, yeah. for the record. I have pretty dry skin. I did have some sun damage uh, when I was younger, and I had like some resting lines. So my friend just uh, was, you know, she's a nurse injector, and she like was like, I think it, you know, it's fine if you start. So I had ZM in my first time, and yeah. then was like so in love with the results <laughs> that I've I've kept it up since, but. That's actually a really good point. And that, so when we talk about age, so a lot of people will say like, what age should I start Botox? And the reality is there's no set age. And that's because we're all aging at a different rate. And that's somewhat predetermined just like by our skin type and by our genetics. It's also determined by, do you smoke? What is your diet? How much sun exposure have you had? So I have some 23-year-olds who come in and they already have like, visible fine lines on the forehead. And I have some 23-year-olds who come in and they have like the bounciest, plumpest skin. So it really is when we talk about like what's that, what's the time to consider Botox? I tell people that it is kind of, there's a few different scenarios. One is, you know, when you get home from a long day, you're feeling tired and you start to see that you have these like fine lines on the, like the forehead between the brows or the crow's feet. Another example that people will come in and they'll say, I'm doing my makeup. And I notice that like my makeup start, is starting to settle in these wrinkles that I didn't have before. And then the third one I tell people is you can just kind of artificially see. So if you're listening to this podcast now and you have a mirror, you can just like... Okay, everyone pull out your mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> raise your brows for like 10 seconds. Hold it like extreme raise. Don't just like lightly raise them. Hold it for 10 seconds. Let it go. And if you can see those fine lines like still there on the forehead, or if you like frown, like bring your eyebrows together really aggressively for 10 seconds and you can see that 11 that's still there and same for smiling, then those are kind of like the point where you're like, oh, Botox will be beneficial for you. And you're still like being proactive in terms of like preventing those dynamic wrinkles from becoming static wrinkles. Okay, so everyone do this in your mirror. Let us know your results. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but is there, do you think there's a time that could be too late? You know, like for yeah. people, you said, you know, 10 years ago, people were starting in their 50s. Now everyone's using it as prevention. And I see that all the time with people just asking me, like, when should I start? Do you do it? Like, and yeah. that's what, part of the reason why we decided let's do this episode because there's so much confusion around it. But is there a time that's too late? 
It's never too late, but it can be too late to prevent wrinkling altogether. So if you come in and you're like, I've had this wrinkle that's driving me crazy and it's been driving me crazy for, you know, seven to 10 years, at that point, we might be saying, the point of neuromodulator is to prevent it from getting deeper. So some people will say like, oh, I have a parent and they just have this like, especially the 11s. I was like, going to say, I've heard the 11s. Yeah. I've noticed that. It's like the, so difficult to reverse if, it, if it's yeah. there. So it's one of those things where we can like definitely prevent it from getting deeper, but it may be to the point where you've already pressed into that skin for so long that it's impossible to just reverse that wrinkle that's already there. What's your favorite treatment for that area if if that wrinkle is pretty set in its way so outside it's of Botox. Pretty sad, just a side it's note, a filler guys. thing. Fill yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what is the perfect time to start then? When you start seeing those like fine lines from the mirror test? Exactly. When you start to see those like early fine lines. You definitely can start earlier. And I have people who will start because you know, Botox gives you, other than like preventing fine lines and wrinkles, it also gives you these immediate effects where pore size is smaller. Like people tend to say that they have less acne and rosacea breakouts in the areas that are treated. And it also just gives you this like glow and elevation. And so you can start earlier than needed. But if you're trying to like be very like cost conscious, then at that point where you're very starting to see those fine lines and wrinkles is the point to start. And that may be when you're 23. It may be when you're 33. I saw someone today who's 37 for her first Botox and she definitely was not too late. It just depends on like your lifestyle factors and like the skin that you've been blessed with and how much sunscreen you've been wearing. Yes, sunscreen. (laughs) Okay, I won't derail the conversation because you know I would. But okay, so I said earlier that I'm 30. I did start getting Botox, Yemen, um, different neuromodulators when I was 24. Yeah. I know, Dr. Love, that you do, uh, you've used neuromodulators before. So when did, when did you start? So I actually got my first treatment. I was either 24 or 25. I want to say I was 20. Yeah. Or maybe 23. I was I was in medical school and basically I'd gone to this dermatology conference and they were like, the world expert injector of Botox is here. Like it's free, like get your Botox. And I actually hated it. <gasps> and the reason I hated it is because I was still very young and I like naturally, they've gotten wider as I've gotten older, but I naturally have like pretty like small and narrow eyes. And I felt like the way that I was treated essentially he was used to treating people who are much older. And so I felt like the treatment was so heavy that I just, I didn't like the way that like my face moved. I felt like my eyes looked smaller. Like you had too many, like you had a lot of units. Exactly. I think that it was just like way too many units. And I think that that definitely can be an experience where if that happens, people are like, oh, I don't like Botox. I don't like the way I feel with Botox. And a lot of times it's just because they got too many units initially, um, which is why I love soft Botox. It's like my thing now. And I've heard it referenced as baby Botox before, which for the record, everyone, that doesn't mean it's for babies. (laughs) Um, As we said earlier, it's 18 plus for neuromodulators. But uh, are you one, Dr. Love, how would you explain baby Botox and do you do that? Yeah. So, I mean, baby Botox at its core is just like a marketing thing, but I do do it. Um, essentially what baby Botox is, is it's just sprinkling like a low number of units into each area so that you could decrease intensity of movement, but you're not frozen. You know, the reality is it just depends on how much Botox you need. So I have 
Usually patients who are very young only need like quote unquote baby Botox to get the effect. Once you've like crossed over into your 30s, you're like graduated out of baby Botox usually, but you can still get that same effect. So what about Brotox with an R? (laughs) I know. Brotox is like, it's good. Also good marketing. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's the same product, everyone. It's It's the exact same product. It's for, I also find that I guess bros, it's for bros. It's for bros. I also find that guys, for some reason, like Dysport more. Oh, you did mention that. They feel not even, so I will inject it more often in guys, but I also feel like guys feel like, Disport is just like more manly. <laughs> like, because of the name. Yeah. It also like, says sport in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I feel like sometimes guys are like, they're not like, I'm here for my Botox. They'll be like, oh, I'm here for my dis. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. So it's pronounced disport, not disport. Because I disport, feel like, yeah. I mean, I, I've heard people say both, but I, I always say disport, but I mean, I unless I'm incredibly wrong, but yeah, it's disport. Okay, so let's now. We're not going to talk about scrotox. Which one? You say scrotox. (laughs) I know what that is, but (laughs) let's. Should we at least say what it is, or no? Um. So yeah. So it's. I mean, you know. I mean, you can't say we're not going to talk about it, right? Like, not talk about it. Scrotox. I honestly have never done scrotox. Um, It's not my patient population, but it is a thing that exists. And so basically it's just Botox. We, As you mentioned, Botox decreases sweating. So sometimes people will get it in their underarms. They'll get it in their hairline. um, And sometimes they get them in their scrotum so that they don't have a sweaty scrotum. Wow. Okay. Well, anyway, so um, (laughs) now let's dive into the hypothetical scenarios. So... I'm going to play a patient, Dr. Love. Okay. okay. So I'm 27. I'm really okay. dirty, everyone. <laughs> and I just got Botox for the first time. Okay. And I love it. It's like you did an amazing job, Dr. Yeah, Love. Sounds right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Dr. Love. And how long will it last? Yeah. So really good question. So Botox in general, I tell people on average three months. So the effect that you get from the instant effect that you get for Botox is going to last you about three months. And so some people, unfortunately, are super metabolizers. This tends to be like, you know, I have a patient who's like a gymnast. I have a patient who like, you know, the people who work out two hours a day, usually for them, it's somewhere around two and a half months. And then some people are actually quite slow metabolizers. And so those are the people who come in, you know, four months, six months later. But it's not uncommon that I have patients who come in three months later and they're like, my Botox were off super fast. And three months is common. The thing to note about Botox is that we have those two effects. So in terms of delaying fine lines and wrinkles, what I tell people is even if you get Botox once a year, that's three months out of the year that you're not pushing into that wrinkle. And so you're still delaying the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles at rest. Obviously, if you get Botox more than once a year, you're delaying that effect more. And then the other really nice thing about Botox is that if you get Botox, you know, I'd say once a quarter for five years, and then all of a sudden you decide that you never want to do Botox again or you can't do Botox again, then that's still five years that you've delayed the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. So your forehead or whatever areas you've been treating is still five years younger than it would have been. So once you start, it's not like you can't stop. Exactly. You can stop at any point and you can choose the frequency that you do it 
you completely make up the frequency that you do your treatments. But that effect of, you know, blurring of pore size, decreased oiliness, like feeling like the brows are raised, that's, you're going to have that for about three months after treatment. I feel like I've seen a lot of commentary recently about muscle atrophy. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that with prolonged um, neuromodulator use? Yeah, and so I think that it's something to consider and it's definitely something to consider if you're going for that like frozen look. I think that the frozen look where you're just like not moving your muscles at all is maybe not the best in terms of long-term. I think that especially for the forehead, I think it can start to look very flat. I think that if you're doing these like lighter units where you're still keeping your your muscle movement, that's less of a concern. But one thing that we also know is that people tend to need less Botox as they go along. And so you want to make sure that you're going to someone where you can be dynamic with Botox. So the treatment that you got today isn't necessarily the treatment that you need six months from now. The treatment that you get before your wedding isn't necessarily the treatment that you would get if you're like going on a long trip or it's just like a random February. Like you just want to be dynamic with Botox and always treat how the muscles look in the moment. But some people will have a preference for letting it completely wear wear off, regain their muscle movement, and then treat. What's your personal take? Like how do you like to treat patients? Do you... Do you prefer like wears off fully and then start again or it's more like you're doing baby Botox <laughs> so then you're not like doing that frozen look? Like what's your what's your kind of personal yeah, philosophy? I personally just tell my patients that they can do whatever they want and whatever feels right in the moment. And so I would say that when people first start Botox, usually they're doing it maybe once a year, twice a year. Sometimes people will do it you know, New York City, we're seasonal, spring, summer, and then over the winter, they're like, I don't care what I look like. No one's going to see me. But usually once people have been getting Botox routinely, people like what they look like with Botox. And I keep saying Botox. People like what they look like with neuromodulator. And so usually once people have been doing it for a little bit, they're kind of, they'll book once a quarter, just like even when they're leaving, they're like, I know, I know how long it lasts. Let me go ahead and book my appointment. So to kind of come back to the atrophy though, like what happens What happens if someone's muscles atrophy like on their face? Like what's the risk? And then are there any other risks associated with, with neuromodulators? Yeah, so the concept of atrophy is essentially we have our muscles and the way that you keep a muscle strong is that you use that muscle. And so it's probably easier to think about like your bicep. So your bicep, like if you're working out in the gym all the time, then you can get these like big, strong biceps. Whereas if you just essentially are immobile for like months and months and months, then you kind of shrink. Like think about an astronaut, like how their muscles atrophy and they have no muscles. And so theoretically with Botox is if you're preventing that muscle from moving at all, then that's when you can get atrophy. And so if you're worried about that, then what you want to do is just let your Botox wear off so that you can start to like move those muscles again and start to kind of regain strength in those areas. And are there any other risks outside of atrophy with neuromodulators? Theoretically, yeah. So one of the really great things about neuromodulator is that it is relatively safe, it is relatively quick, and it is very transient. For better or for worse, it does wear off. I think everyone has seen that like viral TikTok where the girls, she gets like eyelid drooping. And so 
what we know is we're injecting something that decreases muscle movement. And so if it is injected into the wrong area or if it's injected close enough to an area, we talk about diffusion, so it diffuses to a different muscle, then kind of the two most common things are brow droop, where people feel like their brows are heavy or their brows are flat, or eyelid droop, where you kind of like your eyelid is a little bit lower than it is at baseline. Eyelid droop is extremely uncommon. Like I tell everyone, like that video went viral, but like that's the only one that's gone viral and it's been several years. But once you kind of get into higher units, like I have some patients who do a lot of units in that area, that's when you're kind of more at risk. But you definitely want to make sure you're going to an injector that like is injecting the product in the right area. It definitely is a risk, but it's a pretty rare risk. Other than that, the biggest risk is bruising. So there's always a chance whenever you inject a needle that you can get a bruise, but the bruise with Botox tends to be pretty tiny. And I've also heard, this. I feel like this is caught up with so many procedures, but blindness. Yeah, it would be really, really uncommon. So like that's more of a filler, potential filler complication. Theoretically, we've heard really random accounts with anything injected, like along the brow. So even with like cortisone injections, like along the brow, but it would be really, really uncommon because the difference between Botox and filler is that Botox is just, it's liquid, like when you see it, versus filler is like an actual substance. And if that substance gets in a vessel, that's when you could potentially get blindness. Whereas with Botox, it's its not something that you would worry about occluding a vessel. So I would say that that's not like a reasonable thing that you should be afraid of. Okay, so now that we've gone through differences and some scenarios and we've all probably decided, I know I've decided I would like a re-up on my neuromodulator. How do you prep to go do it? Do you have any tips, suggestions, things you tell your patients before they come in to see you for a treatment? Yeah. So the good news is it's not something that you have to like prep like a week before. Honestly, like if someone comes in and they're like, I want to do this, I'm like, let's do it now. But because bruising is the most common potential side effect, then if you know you're going in for treatment, I tend to tell people to avoid ibuprofen and aspirin at least 48 hours before. If you can avoid it for a week before, that's ideal. Tylenol is okay. And then other things like vitamin E, ginkgo, those things can make you a little bit more prone to um, bruising. And then the last thing is alcohol the day before. That's a big one. I feel like I know, <laughs> I know so many people that don't abide by that uh, suggestion. I I've da- I've literally been texting with a patient and I'm like, okay, we can fit you in tomorrow. And she's like, Dude, that's, does that mean I need to put my alcohol down? And I was like, yes. And she's like, no. <laughs> Reschedule. So it's fine if you don't avoid alcohol, but just keep in mind that those things do kind of increase your chances of developing a bruise, but bruising is pretty rare with Botox. And then the other thing is I tend to recommend no working out the day of after the treatment. And so if you're one of those people that just like has to work out every single day, like a lot of New Yorkers are, you want to make sure that you work out before your treatment. Got it. And then how long does the appointment normally take? And what happens at the appointment? Yeah, so I would say that for your first time, usually it's somewhere between, I don't know, 20 to 30 minutes. I talk a lot, but that's what most of the appointment is spent on. (laughs) So a Botox appointment could be super quick. Like some of my patients who are like, you know, they 
they've been doing this. It's not their first rodeo. They may be in and out within 10 minutes, but I would say for your first time, we're going to look at your muscles. We're going to see how they move. I'm going to make a custom pattern for you. And so I would say probably somewhere between 15 to 20 minutes and then add in five to 10. If you're coming to see me, add in five to 10 minutes of me just like running my mouth. (laughs) And what do you do I actually, I have a, a friend, I won't say his name, but yeah. I took him for his first, he did get Botox, but I took him for his first neuromodulator appointment and he's very afraid of needles. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not going to like spill the tea on him, but it was interesting. So what do you do when people are afraid of needles? Yeah, so it's not uncommon. I have a lot of patients who are afraid of needles. Usually the first like one to two appointments are a little nerve wracking. They may even faint. Which is not a big My deal. friend almost fainted. It yeah. was like he was on the border. I was going to say, it's not a big deal. It happens all the time. Um, usually by the third treatment, because they know what the treatment is, that fear, even though they're still afraid of needles, people tend to do really well with it. But if you know that you're afraid of needles, a really important thing is just let the person who know who's treating you. One, because there's no reason for you to actually see a needle during your treatment. And it's not like a super painful treatment. You know, I would say the patient that I did today for the first time, she was like, wow, that's it. I've been dreading this for five years. So yeah, so it's not a super painful or super uncomfortable treatment. But I always tell my patients, even though it's not super painful, it's not super uncomfortable, I am poking you with a needle in your face. And so it is a normal reflex to feel lightheaded. It's a normal reflex to need a break. So just let them know, you know, that point where you start to feel lightheaded, it's like, golden. Don't feel like powering through it because if you power through it, you're going to faint. And then it becomes like you have, you know, you've delayed your appointment, like, you know, you've added 10, 15 minutes to your appointment. But if you're like, oh, I'm feeling a little lightheaded. Can I have a break? We do a little ice. We give you a little bit of water. And then we just kind of pick up with the treatment. A couple deep breaths. Yeah, exactly. But it is not an uncommon thing. I will say I actually have really good friends, multiple of my friends, like, almost faint every time they do their Botox. So don't feel embarrassed. It's like it happens to the best of us. So what's the downtime and how long, if any, do you see that you had Botox? Yeah. So in terms of downtime, great thing is I I would say like 10 minutes. So for about 10 minutes after treatment, you can see where you were injected. So I tell my patients, if you're walking to work, you should be fine. Like most people will do it at like 9 a.m. or lunch break and it's completely fine. Your coworkers won't know that you went and had treatment. Although many people are like, I just got my Botox on. It's like a badge of honor now. It used to be so taboo and now it's like, I had Botox. Exactly. But yeah, you could definitely go back to wherever, you know, you could go to a meeting or anything. You can apply makeup immediately afterwards. The one thing is in terms of downtime. So no working, I tell my patients and everyone's going to counsel differently, but no working out the day of after the treatment. You know, if you do a three o'clock appointment and you have a 4 a.m. Barry's boot camp, I don't care, but just the day of after the treatment. And the other thing is, I say no facials just for the day of. I know most facialists will say, you say longer, right? I mean, a lot of people (laughs) say two weeks. Yeah, I I was going to ask you. I was talking to the Blue Mercury team, actually, and they were saying two weeks also. And I was like, well, I'm not changing your protocols. But I counsel my patients just no facials for that day, no massage for that day, and they can't get their eyebrows done that day. Basically, nothing where you would possibly move around the product. But by the next day, you're kind of good to go. 
I mean, that makes sense because if it wasn't good the next day, then like if someone sleeps on their face or they turn around, like it would just clearly be more complications happening. Yeah, Um, exactly. So you're good to sleep normal. Um, Some people will say move your face a lot after treatment. I don't really care. I don't think it matters that much. Oh yeah, that's to like speed up the The the, intake into the muscle, yeah. But you can just be normal. Okay, all right. (laughs) So one of the other differences that we kind of mentioned earlier, but we didn't really dig into is how long does it take? So... Okay, someone gets the treatment, it's fast, 10 minutes later you can't even tell something happened. Yeah. But it's not like my muscles are going to just like be instantly like slowed down and my wrinkles are going to be softened in like a couple hours. Like what's the difference in terms of how long it takes to set in? Yeah, so that's actually a really good question. I always counsel patients on this that you will not notice a difference usually within like that first week. Um, So I would say if we're talking about Botox, I usually tell people you'll start to see the difference, particularly in the forehead at about a week. Like you'll just wake up one day and be like, my forehead is really good. Yeah, it really is. Like you're like, oh, is that what it looked like? And two weeks for it to fully kick in. And so even sometimes at a week, sometimes people can feel a little unbalanced. They won't look unbalanced, but they can feel a little unbalanced. And at two weeks, everything fully settles in. Disport, a lot of people will feel like it fully kicks in at about a week. And then with the new Daxify, um, it's looking like it might be closer to a week, but still possibly up to two weeks. Like I said, we're still getting data with that. So with that said, because we can't see the final effect until about two weeks, especially for the first time I treat someone, I'll have them come back in two to three weeks because we know that everyone's asymmetric. Everyone, you know, one brow may raise more than the other. One side may be stronger. And so I have you come back in two to three weeks when your treatment's fully settled in. And if we need to make any tweaks, you know, a half a unit here, like a little sprinkle here, we do that. And at that point, that becomes your like special pattern and like no one else has it because no one else has your face. That's right. We all have individual faces. For everyone listening, Dr. Love pretty recently did some Botox around my eyes. And the whole like how long does it take to set in is definitely like a gradual thing that happens to see that full result. Definitely text me every day. Well, because like by day three, I was like, I'm looking really good. And a mutual friend of ours was like, what do you, like, what happened? Like, you look like a little doll. And I was like, that was, that's what I was going for. So um, it's definitely a gradual thing that happens over that one to two week time frame. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Oh, one thing I didn't mention when we talk about downtime is that I do tell patients the first time that they get treatment, for people who are super expressive, sometimes they actually can get a little bit of a headache in the first one to two days. It's not an extreme headache. You can take Tylenol or ibuprofen, but it's not from the product itself. It's because they're trying to make these big over-the-top like facial expressions, and there's a little bit of restriction there. So that's kind of like the one thing that sometimes people will notice after treatment, and that's usually just the first time you get treatment and just for 24 to 48 hours. But otherwise, you kind of forget that you had it done, which is why a week later, you're like, what did I do? I had a patient, a male patient once, where he came in for his first Botox follow-up, and I was like, is everyone telling you you look really good? And he's like, no, no one. And he was like, but everyone loves my outfits. 
<laughs> okay. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm sure your outfits have just magically been Changed really good. in like in a the- week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that was a little fib on his part. But, okay, so speaking of headaches, I've yeah. heard that people have gotten Botox or neuromodulators um, to deal with migraines. And then yeah. also, I know TMJ is a big topic. What What's the tea here? Yeah, so it is true. So Botox neuromodulator was actually originally used within the medical space. And so it was actually originally used for people who had like muscle spasms and muscle tics. And so we've just kind of co-opted it into the aesthetic space. And so there is a specific treatment for migraines for neuromodulator, and it is different from the aesthetic treatment. And so people will go one or two ways. Sometimes people will go to their neurologist and they'll get treatment for migraines with the neuromodulator. It's normally like in the back of the head, right? Or It's kind of like all over. Yeah. So it's like when we talk about tension headaches, it's kind of like the, the scalp and then onto the forehead. Sometimes it is more of an aggressive treatment. And so, but it can be covered by insurance. And so sometimes people will go that route. I have other patients where they do cosmetic Botox or cosmetic neuromodulator, and they still get that effect of noticing that their headaches are significantly improved. So you can kind of go one way or another. I have some patients who will go to their neurologist and they'll get kind of like the scalp treatments and the heavier treatment, but then they'll say, don't do the cosmetic areas. My dermatologist will do the cosmetic areas just because... They also want to look really good. Yeah. And then for TMJ, I like swear by Botox for TMJ. I I feel like whenever I talk about it, the patient's like, what's that? Is it when Harry met Sally where they're like, can I have one of those? Or I'll have what she's having. (laughs) So I, for a really long time, like I used to wake up with headaches. I used to wake up with neck aches. I like... I just didn't sleep well. And one day I was like, oh my God, it's my masseters. And so I find that masseter Botox is life-changing for the person that it's the right treatment for. And that's because when we talk about working muscles, what happens with TMJ is that people grind or clench, particularly at night, and they get these really strong masseters. And these really strong masseters then pull on the other muscles of the neck, and they also pull on the muscles like within the temples. And that's why they're getting these recurrent like aches, but it's also they're not sleeping well. So they're groggy the next day. They don't remember things. They're like in a bad mood. And so when you treat the masseter, you essentially prevent that grinding. So you prevent further damage to the teeth, but you also get relaxation of that muscle. And for people who have really intense um, symptoms, it's almost instant that they feel the relief. Like I did it for a friend and she texts me like maybe two hours later and she was like, I'm actually crying. Like she's like, I can't believe how good I feel. And so for the right patient, it can really be life-changing. Some people will also do it for facial slimming because the masters are really like... Protrude sometimes from the side of your face. Yeah, they're like, they're in the back of your face right at your jawline. And so sometimes if you have a thick masseter, you can kind of like lose the kind of like L of your jawline. And so I feel like that is a little bit like here and there if you don't actually have TMJ. I find the people who like grind are the people who actually get like the best facial slimming too. 
Okay, love it. Yeah. So I mentioned this at the beginning, but mm-hmm. I'm, to wrap up our kind of deep dive into neuromodulators. Yes. What is the difference between Botox and filler? This is one of my top asked questions. I'm ready for Dr. Love to dig into it. So they are completely different. So Botox neuromodulators are going to be focused on fine lines and wrinkles, particularly fine lines and wrinkles on the forehead, between the brows, um, and around the eyes. And what it's going to do is just soften the intensity of contraction so that these wrinkles look better at rest. Filler, on the other hand, is a product. It is hyaluronic acid, which hyaluronic acid is something that our body naturally makes, but obviously this is a formulated version of that. And it's really designed to correct the the results of gravity and the results of loss of collagen, so loss of volume. So filler is going to help reposition things. When you start to feel like my face just feels heavy, my face is moving downwards, my face feels like it's sinking in, that's when you're going to consider filler. Whereas you're like, my skin is wrinkly, that's when you're going to consider Botox. I think Botox just kind of claimed the market for all injectables. Yeah. And like I've had patients, friends, and and people on the internet basically reference they're thinking of filler, but they're they mentioned Botox true. and yeah. they're like thinking of volume and they're like, I need Botox. And I'm like, Yeah. You don't put Botox there normally. Like it's not yeah. doing and what it you're thinking. It can get confusing because when we talk about nasal labial folds, so those folds, what do people commonly call them? Smile lines. Maybe, yeah. Parentheses. Yeah, they're parentheses. I was like, I call them nasal labial folds. That can get confusing because people are like, oh, that's a wrinkle. So obviously I use Botox to fix that wrinkle. But what you have to think about is that wrinkle is there at rest. And that's because it's a result of gravity from like losing some of the definition and like the upper and the lateral face. And so the way to correct that is with filler. Whereas if these wrinkles are being formed by the movement of a muscle, then that's when Botox comes into play. And we're definitely going to have to do a whole other episode a whole on fillers. Episode, yeah. There's like, I mean, I know we mentioned multiple neuromodulators, but there's like so many different fillers. So, so many. we might have to segment that up into like and I feel like fillers, or other, <laughs> other fillers get a really bad rep. And it's because, like you said, everyone talks about neuromodulator now. So you're like, oh, I know this person and they have it and they look really good. But I feel like we still haven't reached a point where people who look good are telling you that they have fillers. And so people assume that they're going to look like a Kardashian or they assume they're going to look like a Black China or like someone. Well, I think a lot of people like associate filler with like duck lips, like very, very. People are like, like people will say, I've never seen anyone with good lips. And I'm like, you've seen people with good lips. You just don't know that they have filler. So that's like, I think that there's still a lot of demystifying when it comes to fillers. Yeah. I won't like side rail us, but I want to say this one thing and then we'll wrap up say this, it. Say, wrap up the episode. <laughs> but yeah, I think like with fillers, you know, people, as we age, we lose that volume in our mm-hmm. face. So you could get very small amounts of filler and you essentially are just keeping the same volume that you had when you were in your 20s, 30s. And just kind of like slowly keeping it there versus the the inflated look. That's exactly correct. So we're seeing that transition, the same transition we saw with Botox, where it went from starting it when you already had deep wrinkles to doing more preventative. 
you're seeing it and you're seeing it with celebrities you just don't know where you're like, they're just not aging. Like they just look like they're staying the same. And that's what filler can do because you're not trying to overcorrect something. You're just trying to maintain. And more importantly, you have to love what you look like in order to be able to maintain. So you're not trying to change your face shape. You're not trying to look like someone else. You're just trying to maintain what looks good for you. Amen to that. <laughs> so, okay, well, let's do like, I'm going to do like a little summary. All on you. Recapping the episode. Let's but see if you learned anything. In the, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's I like mean, the earlier was the pretest. <laughs> I mean, I knew like a good amount of this. Like, no, but you did. I do like playing moderator and, and hearing it in all your words. But no, I'm totally kidding. To quote Dr. Love Botox, ordinary modulators <laughs> are the best thing to happen to humanity. <laughs> She loves them. I do too, I do. <laughs> but um, those are her words. So um, neuromodulators are a cosmetic treatment that are designed to prevent static wrinkles, which are those lines that show on the face, even when we're not making facial expressions. It's pretty non-invasive, only takes about 10 minutes um, if you're going to get it at a doctor's office. The effects kick in in about one to two weeks, depending on what neuromodulator is used. And they last for an average of three to six months, even though some people, it metabolizes a little bit faster, especially if you're doing a lot of working out. Side effects are rare, but obviously make sure to ask your provider for all possible side effects, um, which they will share before you get the treatment. And the optimal time to start is when you've started to notice faint wrinkles at the end of a long day, or your makeup's just starting to not look as snatched as you wanted to. But it's never too late, so go for it. When you start early, you're able to achieve a natural look without that frozen housewives look. So definitely start early. And you ultimately decide how often you want to undergo the treatment. So the gift and the curse is that it wears off in a few months. So yeah, I, I love it. And I probably should go see Dr. Love for a re-up soon. I completely co-sign all of that. So I hope that this episode was helpful for you guys. Definitely let us know what other procedures you want us to go in depth on. If you have additional questions about neuromodulators, we can always follow up on this. So let us know. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for spending time with us today. Please leave us a review if this topic helped you feel smarter, calmer, and more confident about your beauty decisions. You can engage with us more personally on Instagram. See you next episode.